2: doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing.
3: We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. My country tears the sea. Sweet land of liberty of be our sea.
2: As for the enemies of freedom,
4: This is
0: Always Right Radio, on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob Franz.
5: Alrighty then, good morning to you. Ten minutes after the hour of nine o'clock, and we are rolling. It's uh, It's Wednesday, it's the 30th and penultimate morning of the, I love that word, Uh, of the eighth month in the year of our Lord, 2023, and we're going to make the most of it. We have a very, very big show for you this morning, coming up in about a half an hour. This was a tip from a caller on Monday, I believe it was. Somebody who is taking a nice, good, long, deep dive into the corruption of the uh, Brandon administration, including and especially the part about um, uh, Joe Biden having multitudinous pseudonyms that he has used on his emails all of this discovered on the laptop from hell otherwise known as the biden family laptop some call it the hunter laptop but it's uh it's so much more because it's about the entire family make no mistake about that including and especially uh joe biden but uh, mike mccormick has a sub stack uh, in which he is discussing the appointment of David Weiss, the special prosecutor, to investigate Hunter Biden's situation and thus Joe Biden's situation. The problem being David Weiss uh, was the corrupt. Um, prosecutor that was going to give Hunter Biden the sweetheart deal that involved essentially no penalties whatsoever with no charges of any kind whatsoever. So he's now in charge of investigating the corruption that he himself was a part of. It's a mess, an absolute mess. At any rate, Mike McCormick wrote a piece, and I read it uh, on his uh, sub-stack at, uh, on the tip from a, from a listener. Uh, about uh, Delaware Department of Justice, the uh, Chief Deputy Attorney General in Delaware's Department of Justice, Alexander Mackler, uh, former assistant to David Weiss at the outset of the Biden administration, or excuse me, Biden investigation, Hunter Biden investigation, was also closely associated with the Big Brother, the now late Bo Biden, uh, in 2014, and the revelation. Uh, is huge, the revelation about the connection between Weiss's office and planning and coordinating some of the payouts that the Bidens would receive uh, may have been known by Attorney uh, U.S. Attorney David Weiss. It's a big deal. It, it's going to shine a light, and I would not be surprised if a lot of these things that we see and we talk about with him this morning at uh, 935 are not played out in uh, uh, congressional hearings in front of the judiciary or the House Oversight Committee. Because that's how that's how important this stuff is. We're going to try to piece it together with uh, Mike McCormick coming up here in about a half an hour. At 10.10, Mark Paolette is going to return. We talked to Mark a couple of different times. One after he wrote his book, his amazing biography of uh, Clarence Thomas, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. We talked to him again in response to some of the allegations that have been levied against uh, Clarence Thomas about accepting Payouts of some sort or another, or not reporting gifts and contributions that might call into question his ob- uh, objectivity. This is little more than high tech lynching 2.0. They have been coming after Justice Clarence Thomas since he was just nominee Clarence Thomas. They have been coming after him, and they have uh, they they re- they re- they revile him quite frankly because he's the worst thing in the world to them. He's an African-American man who thinks for himself. He's an African-American who left the left's ideological plantation and is one of the leading and most consistent pro-originalist constitutional-minded justices in American history. He is, that, uh, he is that good. I think he's, quite frankly, the face. I think he is the soul of the current U.S. Supreme Court. That's what I think about Clarence Thomas. And what they're doing to him right now is, like I said, nothing less than the uh, continuation of or the uh, 2.0, the sequel of the high-tech lynching of Clarence Thomas. Um, Mark Pelletta has written a very important piece in uh, the Wall Street Journal in defense of Clarence Clarence Thomas, answering all of these questions about uh, 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 improper gifts that were accepted and so forth and all of it. ProPublica is a far-left, very dangerous Dangerous website, quite frankly. It's a propaganda site, and they have made it their mission to try to destroy uh, the the thorn in the side of the leftist cause um, in this country, which is Justice Clarence Thomas. He is the soul of the Supreme Court. So Mark Paleta at 1010. And then uh, that's it. Jack Windsor has the day off because he had the day on. Yesterday we relaunched our podcast. We are still uh, undecided on a name, so we are calling it the Still Unnamed Podcast with Bob and Jack. Uh, Jack is busy today, so we do, we do not have him at 1110, so we'll have more opportunities for your calls. All right, now before we get started with the top news of the day and the top story, I wish to discuss with you what do you say we go ahead and pledge our allegiance to our flag stand and face your flag put your hand on your heart if you don't believe in that flag if you don't believe in the liberty that it espouses if you do believe in killing babies and not respecting their right to life um, then you clearly have no respect for anything this country uh, represents therefore you are exempt from the request to stand and pledge you may instead take a knee over there and sulk like that unemployed marxist quarterback
0: for the rest of us i pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all.
5: All right, so we're going to start this morning with a piece that was in National Review discussing us. Us, we here in the state of Ohio have a very, very big, important job in front of us. Coming up in November, there is going to be an attempt to change the Ohio Constitution. And the manner of that change, of course, is well known. The repercussions of that change, of course, are not well known. Because if they do put through this ridiculously vague ballot amendment or amendment rather to the constitution on the ballot and they put it through and it passes um the repercussions are unknown because of that ambiguity because what they are essentially calling a reproductive rights amendment is so much more than that it is an anti-parent amendment it is a removal of parents rights to look out for their kids amendment and that's here in the state of ohio it is it is up to us I'm going to read portions of this piece now from National Review. Uh, Brittany Bernstein wrote this yesterday. The executive director of Pro-Choice Ohio just told the Cincinnati Inquirer that pro-abortion activists in the state should, quote, work on, end quote, eliminating parental consent laws around abortion, particularly for minors who are victims of incest or abuse. i will pause there and let you know the obvious. First of all, the suggestion that parents shouldn't be a part of whatever situation or condition their children find themselves in is is absurd on its face. It is beyond absurd. Quite frankly, it's infuriating. The idea that somehow the state should guide the kids who find themselves in such situations, the young people. The idea that the state should substitute for the role of parent or better for them, take over, usurp the role of parents in what uh, important decisions their kids make about their bodies. Number two, the obvious part of this is it's not just about abortion. It is indeed about sex changes as well. We cover this in depth in the podcast last night, which you can, by the way, view. It's on my Rumble page. Look for Always Right Radio. It's on our Facebook pages, Jack Windsor's and mine. Uh, it's on Twitter as well. You can watch the, uh, the podcast at your leisure. It's about an hour. And, um... We cover this in some depth. Obviously, the reason why the ambiguity in the language exists is because they want to open this up to all reproductive health decisions, and that means sex change operations as well. Back to the article. The comments from Kelly Copeland, longtime pro-death cult activist. That's my substitution for pro-abortion. Uh, Come months before Ohioans will vote on the November ballot measure that would effectively outlaw any restrictions on abortion and other procedures that involve reproduction, including gender transition surgeries, the amendment would also effectively remove parental consent and notification requirements from minors who receive the procedures. That is exactly what it does. We have been saying this since before the August 8th special election. This is one of the reasons why it was so important for us to raise the threshold for constitutional amendments to 60%. Because the radicalism that is already in waiting in the wings, it had already been approved for the November ballot, um, is, that, is that extreme. Most radicalism is. Until now, activists behind the ballot measure have rejected claims that they are seeking to remove parental consent laws. There is absolutely nothing in the amendment that mentions or supersedes Ohio's parental consent laws, said Dr. Lauren Bean, Executive Director of Ohio Physicians for Reproductive Rights, which is Ohio non-doctors who don't mind killing patients. Because yes, you realize when a mother gets pregnant, when a woman gets pregnant and goes to see their doctor, the doctor's job now is to treat both mother and child. That's why mothers who are pregnant have ultrasounds. It's why mothers uh, who are pregnant have routine visits throughout the entire gestational period, not just for their health, but for the health of their baby. So when you talk about a group called the Ohio Physicians for Reproductive Rights, let's call them what they really are, non-doctors because they do harm uh, and they are not interested in the protection of the patients, plural, when they only are concerned about the mental health of one of the patients, the mother. But let's address the line. There is absolutely nothing in the amendment that mentions or supersedes Ohio's parental consent laws. Really? Is it not possible for there to be something that mentions or supersedes Ohio's parental consent laws by not having any lines in it whatsoever? The answer is, of course, yes. They think we're stupid. They think they can gaslight us and saying, where does it say in the actual language of the amendment that we're going to vote on, that parents no longer have any rights? And the answer is, it doesn't say that. What it does say is that the child, because it continues to reference only an individual, not with an age identified, that means even children, are responsible for their own reproductive health decisions. It doesn't say eighteen and over have that right and uh, to be responsible for their own reproductive decisions, but minors consent uh, or re- require the consent and the assent of their parents or guardians. It doesn't say that very specifically. So, by not saying it requires parental consent, it is indeed leaving it out of this amendment to the Ohio Constitution that parental consent is required. If it's not listed on the amendment and thus enshrined into the constitution that will be their out that is exactly how young people who want to transition because of the pressure put on them by their peers by some of their teachers by some of the social media influencers that have led to this mammoth spike in the number of people who suddenly have the gender dysphoria uh, uh, a psychological disorder All of these kids are going to be able to then go and get started on these treatments, including puberty blockers before they reach puberty, including cross-sex hormones when they do, without mom and dad having to sign off. It says it by not saying that it's not prohibited. Does that make sense? The amendment includes vague language about prohibiting any law that directly or indirectly would burden or interfere with reproductive decisions. Opponents of the measure argue it would also... I just kind of made the argument, obviously. Um, opponents warn the overly broad use of the phrase reproductive decisions would mean the measure would be very likely to extend to gender transition treatment. Of course it does. Uh, the proposal does not distinguish between minors and adult, adults either. Again, I just explained that. The Cincinnati Enquirer article acknowledges that the Ohio Constitution would supersede state law, where most abortion policy is written. So, if there is anything, and there is, the language in the Ohio Revised Code, which was passed by the legislative process that requires parental consent, would be overruled or rendered essentially moot by the uh, constitutional amendment that we will be voting on on November 7th. They, they acknowledge this. They admit this. It's reality. Copeland, meanwhile, told the outlet that activists will need to deal with parental consent. I do have concerns about what we can do for minors who are in those situations where they cannot safely involve their parents. I think that's something really important and something that we should work on. She went on to suggest that most minors do talk to their parents about abortion, but those that don't might be in situations that are abusive. Now. I'll make this the last comment here in the monologue. The pro-death cult, otherwise known as the pro-choice movement in this, uh, in this, that is pushing for this amendment, they're telling us that the reason why it doesn't specify that parental consent would be required for minors is because not all minors can talk to their parents because if their parents find out that they want to change genders or that they want to abort their babies... That the parents could become abusive. So they're concerned about parents who abuse their children. Right? It's literally what they're saying. And I find it just beyond the height of hypocrisy and the irony of ironies that the political organization that is pushing for this out of concern for children who are abused by their parents do not see that a parent having their child dismembered limb from limb even while they are pain capable at any point of a gestational cycle that that's not the most extraordinary abuse one could ever imagine you follow this A pregnant woman or even a pregnant teen is now a parent of that little baby inside of them. So while they express concern about how parents treat their kids, they literally want to advise the young parent on how to destroy their kids. I hope that made sense. And I hope you understand exactly how evil The constitutional amendment they want to jam through into our Constitution in November truly is. Alright, I've got more on this, but we're going to pause. We're going to have a uh, bottom of the hour news break. Then we're going to come in and we're going to talk to Mike McCormick. We're going to talk about, we're going to talk about midnight and the laptop of good and evil and whether or not Uh, We actually have a a system of justice in this country that will hold corrupt officials like Joe and Hunter Biden accountable. That conversation is next. Stay here. It's Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer.
0: Giving you reason in the age of unreason. Always Right Radio with Bob France and The Answer.
5: Okay, it's 936. Good morning. Thanks for being with us on Always Right Radio, AM 1420. The answer, we're going to come back to the story about the Ohio Amendment uh, that we are all going to decide on to our Constitution on November 7th. But now let's dive back into uh, the first family of crime. And I use that a little bit flippantly, but it is also rather serious. They are the first family of the United States, and to me, they are engaged in multiple, multiple crimes. The Biden family, family that is. A couple of days ago, I got a tip from a listener who called to tell me about uh, this substack by Mike McCormick. Uh, its uh, headline or its title is uh, Midnight in the Laptop of Good and Evil, uh, which is pretty doggone accurate, I would say. And uh, he said you should really read this and learn a little bit about uh, the Chief Deputy Attorney General in Delaware's Department of Justice, Alexander Mackler, his ties to uh, to, uh uh, new special investigator special prosecutor in the hunter biden case david weiss and more so i did and i said yeah we got to talk to this uh, mr mccormick so joining me now on am 1420 the answer is uh the writer and i'll let you tell him a little bit more about himself of uh, this very important uh information that is being shared mike mccormick mike thank you for the time this morning i appreciate you coming on how are you sir
1: i'm great bob thanks for having me on
5: yeah my pleasure oh, yeah. i appreciate you coming on so um yeah, let's, let's start with an introduction, Mike. Uh, tell people your background. Before we get into the specifics of what you wrote on your substack, which I found very compelling, uh, tell us who you are.
1: Well, I uh, am a former White House stenographer. I worked for Joe Biden as his stenographer. I also worked for, uh, for his vice president's stenographer. I also worked for Mike Pence as his stenographer, and I worked for Dick Cheney as his stenographer. So from 2002 to 2018... I worked in the White House press office, sitting in between what the press said to the president or the vice president and what they said back. And I recorded it and transcribed it for an official White House um, transcript. And so I traveled with them. I traveled with Joe Biden to China. I traveled with him to Russia, Ukraine, all around the world. And I left the office uh, and I started writing a substack when I realized that Joe Biden was not only the president, but he's deeply corrupt. And I got a hold of the Hunter Biden laptop through Marco Polo. Um, it's an uh, anti-corruption non- nonprofit. And a guy named Garrett Ziegler called me up and he said, hey, you should have this. You know a lot about these guys. So I've been digging into it, and that's what goes in my sub stack. And I have evidence right now in the archives of my substack that will that will lead to Joe Biden's impeachment. And that's the goal of Substack, to present the evidence that will lead to Joe Biden's impeachment and uh, bring the other people that were alongside him to justice in this conspiracy. And it's vast, and it's pretty dark. Well,
5: uh, I can tell that by reading your Substack, and, uh, and I want to get into some of the specifics of that. But before we do, tell me, when you were working as a stenographer in the White House, um, were you... Any any antenna raised on you? Uh, um, things that seemed odd? Any red flags? Did you have any idea at the time that the corruption you are now reporting on, and you think could be enough to bring down the presidency? Did you have any sense at that time, or were you? Is this all kind of observed after the fact?
1: Not at the time. You know the way the press handled him, and let's let's be honest, handled Barack Obama mostly, but Joe Biden was largely work But the way the White House press handled them was they just gave them carte blanche to do and say pretty much wherever they wanted with very little pushback. And so it wasn't until after I got out of the White House and I started looking into some of this goofy stuff that Biden had said and done over the years. I wrote a book called Joe Biden Authorized on the 2020 crack of the Democratic Party. That came out the, the week that they shut down everything for COVID. So it didn't get a lot of it didn't get a lot of attention until later in the year. And by then, it was too late. Um, Once I got the laptop, once I got into the Hunter Biden laptop, what I do is I take my knowledge of where Joe Biden was, when I was with him, what he was talking about. And I look into the laptop and look at the email traffic between Hunter and his colleagues, and I put together the crimes that are there, the evidence that's there.
5: Okay. So that's, that's a lot of information. Let's try to work our way through this little by little here. And I want to start with what you where you started, obviously. First, you declare, as you just did to me, that this could lead to, and you believe will lead to, the investiga- the impeachment of Joe Biden in an investigation of Weiss and Alexander Mackler. You tell the story of uh, uh, a telephone call on uh, the 10th of August earlier this month. Tell us what that's about.
1: Okay, so the 10th of August, I called the uh, judges, Chambers, Judge Noriega, was in charge of the hunter biden um, plea deal and i had sent her a letter on or about july 31st and i said look i'm an interested third party she had put out a notice from her um chambers after one of these uh plea deal arguments saying i'll hear from anybody any lawyer who's involved in this and any interested third party in my chambers so i sent her a letter and i said i'm a witness to a joe biden crime i've told the fbi about it they haven't contacted me i've sent information and evidence to uh delaware uh a u.s attorney weiss he hasn't contacted me about it here's what happened it took place in delaware on april 12 2014 it involved joe biden hunter biden and his brother um in this conversation that they were establishing a kickback scheme with Burisma Holdings, the natural gas conglomerate in in uh, Ukraine, and they did around to, to be clear, Mike. To game. be to
5: be clear, you said those exact words to the clerk of Judge Noriega.
1: I, I sent that in the letter, and then and when I called back to the when I called back on August tenth, I said, "Did you get the letter?" Yes, we got the letter, and then um, I said, "I have further information. It's come to my attention." Alexander Mackler, who was working for U.S. attorney David Weiss, was, an email, was in an email chain with Hunter Biden and others on the day, on this April 12th. I think he was at this meeting.
5: And what was, uh, what was the clerk's response? You, you write that she just gave you a hmm as if what, she's contemplating it or hmm she's blowing it off?
1: I think they were contemplating it, and I think that they and I said, "Look, I just want the judge to know." She said, "Okay, said, thank you," and I said, "Thanks," and that was, it. That, that was that, it. I mean, that's all I can do. You know, I didn't know what the judge was going to do um, the next day. And,
5: but the next day, Attorney General Garland—that's when he elevated Weiss to special counsel status.
1: That's exactly right. I don't know if that had anything to do with my call to the chambers or not. I don't know if she took that information. And didn't do anything with it, or did something with it? I don't know.
5: What did you think when you learned that on August 11th that that suddenly, you know, you just literally reported all of this to um, to the judge about the case that Weiss is handling and this 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 deal, this plea agreement that he had made for Hunter Biden, which is essentially, and of course, we found out since then that originally there were going to be no charges at all, and then they were going to go ahead and bring the charges, but give him the sweetheart plea deal. Then you find out he's now the special counsel. What did you think?
1: Oh, that was just a stonewall move that the DOJ did. That's just Merrick Garland putting another obstacle in front of this investigation that ties Joe Biden into it. And when I heard that, I was like, oh, man, now what do we do? And so I went public and said this is I wrote the sub stack and I'm telling you, we're talking about it now. and The public's finding what? out about it.
5: Mike, tell me. We're talking to Mike McCormick. If you just turned us on, this is a fascinating uh, story uh, and 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 an inside look, maybe at, at at some of the some of the corruption that we have long alleged uh, be, with the Biden administration, or many of us have alleged with the Biden administration, and particularly going back to his years as vice president, as being investigated by the oversight committee and judiciary committee, among others. You um, basically have have suggested that you're a material witness to all of this. You have a ton of evidence gathered from the laptop. You have put the pieces together. It goes back to some of the things you recall from your time as a stenographer working in the Obama White House. My question to you is, why have you not been on the radar, or maybe you have, and I don't know it, of Jim Jordan, of James Comer, and those who are um, you know, leading the investigations into everything Biden?
1: what I can tell you in in to answer your question is i have nothing to report on that at this time
5: at this time okay i'll 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 take that that way um let's talk about um Let's talk about the Biden laptop, and let's talk about Joe's aliases. This is just kind of coming to light now. We're finding out that there were over 5,000 aliases or emails involving aliases uh, that Joe Biden used to, to communicate. Um, you have knowledge of those and and what they mean. Can you explain that?
1: Well, that's right. So I got the laptop, and I did a search for one of the aliases, robinware456 at com. And a whole bunch of uh, emails popped up, but I I know to look at the dates, and so I looked at the dates, and there was one in particular that caught my eye, April eleventh, twenty fourteen. That's ten days before Joe Biden went to Ukraine. I was on the plane with him when he went to Ukraine, April twenty first, twenty second, and twenty fourteen. So I looked at this email, and what happened was, it was actually an email that wasn't delivered. It was said undeliverable, but I clicked on it. It was undelivered for Hunter Biden's sister's address, but it went to Robin Ware 456 Joe Biden and went to Jill Biden and went to Bo Biden and went to Hallie Biden. And it said, hey, these are Maisie. this is the schedule for Maisie's basketball game. You're going to be at the Wilmington Police Athletic League tomorrow. The Police Athletic League was six miles from Joe Biden's house. He loves his granddaughter, loves his family. This is Hunter Biden telling him, we're coming up to the basketball tournament. Come and watch with us. This is the day that later, this is April, so the, the next day, April 12th, 2014, is when this basketball tournament occurs. That's when Mackler writes this email. There later in that day after Mackler writes this email, and the email was particularly, the subject was about the uh, presidential election, securing the presidential election in Ukraine. There was a guy in Ukraine who was a Joe Biden operative at the time named Ted Kaufman, and he did a speech there. And so Mackler took the YouTube video of it and sent it to Hunter, Beau, and a guy named Eric Schwerin. Eric mm-hmm. Schwerin was a colleague of Hunter Biden's. He's about to be interviewed by the Oversight Committee. And if they ask him these three questions, Joe Biden gets impeached. And the questions are, when you receive that email from uh, Alexander Mackler, did you know that Joe and Hunter were in um, Wilmington talking about Burisma Holdings? And when you received that email, did you know Alexander Mackler was with them? And when Alexander Mackler was part of the investigation into the Biden uh into Hunter Biden's business deals, did you know that he was stifling an investigation? Those three questions. And if he answers them honestly, I think the, the Biden the Biden presidency is over.
5: Well, you obviously, yeah, you obviously just hit it. You know, if he answers them honestly, he will deny, of course, knowledge of all of those things. And I want to back up, and this may sound petty, but I just, uh, and, and maybe I should know this, but I don't. How do we know for certain Robinware456 is Joe, that Jill.Tracy2 is Jill Biden, that uh, 261 pen was Bo Biden, and Hallie's is the only one, according to what you wrote, um, that actually has her name as her email address is Hallie Biden.
1: Great question, smart question, and here's how. I worked in the Biden, uh, I worked in the Biden White House. There's an e- when I searched for that, there's also an email sent by his photographer who was on a trip to Africa with, um, with Joe Biden's granddaughter Finnegan and Jill Biden. And he sent it to Robin Ware 456, pictures of that trip. And I have independent knowledge that this photographer was on that trip at that time. And he, you know, the email says, "Sir, here's pictures of Finnegan and Jill in such and such place in Africa." I have independent knowledge that he was there, and he would have sent that. That to me is is a corroboration. Okay, uh,
5: that that's important to know. Um, before we we move on um, into Judge Noriega and and where all of this went and where it goes. Um, What is your understanding of Barack Obama's knowledge of any of this, of the kickback scheme, um i've I have heard and read some folks more on the down low than really out there shouting it that big guy actually doesn 't reference Joe Biden. it might reference Barack Obama because the big guy might be getting a cut of this too if he knows that this is going on in his White House with his vice president that he's if he 's knowledgeable of this he 's going to have to be getting a cut of this too do you Do you have any evidence or any suspicion or whatever that that Obama knew what was going on or was he completely? Uh, in the dark,
1: Obama knew what was going on. He was covering up for it. He had other members of his administration covering up for it. I don't think he was getting a cut of it. The big guy is most certainly Joe Biden. Okay. Um, so this April twelfth date, this is they go to this basketball game. Um, Mackler sends us email, and then later that evening there is a press release that's put out by the White House. Hey, Joe Biden's going to Ukraine, and he's going to talk about energy security, which helps Burisma, and he's going to talk about um, securing the presidential election. That comes out at 6 p.m. Mackler sent his email at about 4.30. So Mackler knew before this information was public what they were talking about. That night, Hunter Biden sends a 22-point email to Devin Archer. It's a strategy email for how they're going to work with Burisma. And he's talking about my guy in the email. That's Joe. Earlier that day, Hunter and um, Devin Archer had arranged and confirmed the meeting at Joe Biden's West Wing office on April 16th, 2014. And uh, Devin Archer just confirmed that in his interview with the oversight committee people Mm -hmm. that he was there and Hunter was there and Joe was there. That morning, April 16, 2014, David Axelrod went to Naval Observatory, this is in the White House visitor logs, to visit Joe Biden for breakfast. To me, that's very strange, and I wrote about that in my book, and I was like, why is he there? He doesn't like Joe Biden. Why would he get up in the morning to go see Joe Biden? So Obama sent Axelrod there to meet him. Later that night, the same night, April 16, Obama and Joe Biden have a long limousine ride together and the presidential limousine in western pennsylvania they did a um an event in like a community college and they're driving from that community college back to the pittsburgh airport and there's a selfie that joe biden took i'm in the presidential limousine with barack obama this is the same day that hunter and and devin archer were in the white house and they end that night with joe and barack having a long personal very secure conversation in the back of the limousine, uh, Barack Obama knew all about it. And there's a lot more evidence in my substance um, that, that le-
5: showed yeah, that. Yeah, let's talk about evidence for a moment here, because I was wondering if you were going to say what you just did, and that is that you know what they talked about in the back of the limousine in this very secure setting. How? How does anybody know what to, a president and a vice president in the back of the limousine on a long ride to a community college in western Pennsylvania, how do you know what they discussed?
1: No idea what they discussed, but that means that uh, Barack Obama should be called to testify in a hearing about what what was it that you discussed? You know, this is a significant day. Later that month, um, Attorney General Eric Holder was sent overseas to England to sort of put a face on. Uh, we're looking into corruption in in Ukraine. There's this terrible company called Burisma they we've frozen 23 million dollars of a money transfer they had set up and we're going to get to the bottom of this well that was just a play act for the for the press because that 23 million dollars wound up going back to burisma later that year so holder knew what was going on and this is really weird on may 9th 2014 so this is before hunter biden is named as publicly named as being a board member of Burisma. And Burisma's specialty in Ukraine was fracking. Um, John Podesta walks out into the White House briefing room and does a huge presentation about how much the Obama administration loves fracking. There's a video of it, and he talks about it's good for the economy, it's good for jobs, it's good for our economic growth, and fracking generates more natural gas, which is better for the environment. It's a better environmental choice than It's part of our All of the Above energy program. He was doing that to get the White House press used to the idea that fracking is good because Hunter Biden was about to be uh, exposed as being part of this board. They knew that was coming.
5: Mike, um, it, again, for those who just turned it on, we only have a couple of minutes left here. We need a lot more time that we just don't have, and we're going to have to probably reschedule to do that. Because I'm fascinated by this. Mike McCormick is uh, is a former White House stenographer in the Obama White House, the Biden uh, the Biden Vice Presidency. His uh, Substack uh, is uh, is phenomenal. M McCormick, M C C O R M I C K, M McCormick. Uh, uh, dot Substack. dot com and he's writing about midnight in the laptop of good and evil. Um, Mike, are you concerned as a material witness to all of this? Somebody who has a con- the contents of the laptop, you are sharing the receipts, as they say, by by screenshots on your Substack. You have a ton of evidence that you think could bring down the Biden presidency. That you actually predict will eventually do that. Are you concerned at all about your safety, Mike?
1: No, I'm not at all. You know, one of the the pin- the pinned substack that I have in there is, it's at the top of my substack archive. Um, God is my editor. Yeah. I, you know, I find these things and I didn't, I didn't look for them. They just kind of appear and I see them. and I'm like, Oh, I know what that is. I think I'm getting direction divine intervention. I really do. And I'm not worried about what's coming. What's coming is what's supposed to come. So I'm just going to keep doing what I do and it's all going to come out.
5: Yeah. Well, you you've introduced us to a new new name. No, not too many people had been talking about, and that is Mackler. We know about Schwerin. You're right. He's probably going to testify soon before the oversight committee. Uh, obviously, um, Devin Archer has already done so behind closed doors in a in a in a transcribed uh, setting, but. Uh, it is very very interesting to see what we learn from Alexander Mackler, and I am very interested to talk to you again. I'll continue to read your Substack, and we'll call on you again when we have a little bit more time, so we can get into the more depth of this. But for now, let me just thank you for making us aware, and uh, and and I wish you the very best.
1: Thanks, Bob. It's great to talk with you.
5: It's good to talk to you too. Thank you. All right, Mike McCormick. I I highly suggest reading this particular entry in his Substack, but uh, but but kind of peruse it all. Um, this is this is legitimate. He has a copy of the hard drive of the laptop from hell, the Biden family uh, laptop of crimes, and uh, he is sharing some of that very important information. Um, and uh, I, I really hope that uh, I really hope that this reaches the right eyes and ears. For now, we'll take a time out at nine fifty-seven. Mark Paoletta will join me after the top of the hour. A biographer of Clarence Thomas used to clerk for Justice Clarence Thomas as well. Clarence Thomas is under the most severe attack from the radical left. Mark Paoletta will give you the facts of those cases coming up on Always Right Radio.
2: You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Darkness.
0: This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France.
5: All right, hour number two now underway. Good morning to you. Thanks for being with us on Always Right Radio. Uh, Eight minutes after 10 on a Wednesday, the 30th morning of the eighth month in the year of our Lord, 2023. Uh, Thanks again to uh, Mike McCormick, tremendous information there. We'll come back to that story in just a little while. But for now, I want to talk about a different story. ProPublica, uh, left-wing quote-unquote news and journalism organization. I use that very, very loosely. It has written a series of hit pieces on Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, the man that I consider to be the soul of the Supreme Court. Uh, he might not be the Chief Justice, but he is uh, without question its most influential figure, according to ProPublica um, Clarence Thomas has received uh, an overabundance of gifts uh, in the form of trips and travel and all kinds of other extraordinary experiences and informa- and uh, uh, experiences um, and They have all come from donors mega donors wealthy conservative donors that may or may not, according to ProPublica, have had some business before or been connected with those who might have business before the Supreme Court. So in other words, they're questioning uh, Justice Thomas's ethics. As a matter of fact, Alexandria uh, damasio cortez has declared that there should be a full-on investigation into and an impeachment of Justice Thomas from the Supreme Court on ethics questions. Well, the response to that has come uh, loudly from about a 100 former law clerks of Clarence Thomas, among others. Uh, They have written a letter defending Justice Thomas. Uh, The letter recounted his life story, uh, descended from African slaves, raised by his grandfather in segregated Georgia, going to law school, going to the Supreme Court, and so on and so forth. And they claim that his integrity and his ethics are second to none. Over 100 former law clerks wrote that. No one has been more supportive of and defensive of Justice Clarence Thomas than Mark Paoletta. Now, Mark, you probably recall, we've had him on after he came out with his book, Created Equal, Justice Thomas in His Own Words. We talked to him after the first round of ethics complaints or or slander, maybe, of um, of Justice Thomas. And now we want to bring Mark Paoletta back on because Mark is uh, is perhaps... Uh, maybe more well-versed in the history of Clarence Thomas and knowledgeable about his dealings on the Supreme Court than anybody in America. He was the Chief Oversight Counsel for Congress, Trump Office of Management and Budget General Counsel, and he was uh, a key part of getting Justice Thomas confirmed to the Supreme Court when the first of what is now, I would call, two high-tech lynchings took place back in 1991. Mark Paletta, welcome back to our program here in Cleveland. How are you? Hey,
4: Bob. Thanks for having me back on.
5: Good to have you back on. This is a lot of stuff. This, You know, I've been kind of just thinking most of this would do what it normally does in the news cycle. They would make some ridiculous, uh, completely unfounded allegations. You know, uh, there would be a couple of words of denial and we would move on. But they are... Uh, they are uh, very, very dedicated to this, Mark, uh, this this expose, as they see it, of a corrupt Supreme Court justice taking gifts from rich conservatives um, in violation of Supreme Court ethics rules. Uh, they're not letting this go. They're like a bulldog on a, on a soup bone with this. Can you tell me why, is or is it just a continuation of what we saw beginning in 1991, Mark? You
4: know, Bob, I think it's... Um, I- it's a continuation to be sure, but it's really amped up, I think. And you've really seen in the past few years, and it's really because the courts become uh, an originalist court. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in the old days, even if it was a Republican president or Republican appointees, Democrat president, Democrat appointees, they were all kind of left of center. It was an activist court that uh, imposed their will on the American people. So they created a right to an abortion out of the Supreme court. Mm -hmm. And now, with this, this court, it's really come, you know, you saw this really ramp up and like these pro public investigations literally started right after the Dobbs decision, which struck down Roe v. Wade, like 50 years in the making, right? The affirmative action case just came out. So there are all these monumental cases that are happening um, that are changing American jurisprudence. And I think the left and the media um, are very angry about this and want to take out the Supreme Court. And if you remember Chuck Schumer saying, you know, Gorsuch and and Kavanaugh better vote a certain way on an abortion case, this was all the way back in March of 2020, uh, or they won't know what hit them. It really ramped up. And then, of course, you had assassins come to um, uh, an assassin uh, would be assassin come to uh, Justice Kavanaugh's home. Um, And it's all because, in my view, the, the, the Supreme Court has become. You know, no longer the playground of the left to implement right. abortion, uh, implement uh, affirmative action. and I, So uh, these ethics. So, so their next thing was to go after them on these ethics charges, which to me are literally all baseless. And I've written extensively on. I appreciate you having me on to kind of push back on some of these, explain why they, they don't add up to anything.
5: Yeah, I want to do exactly that in a moment, but first, just to back up, you kind of read my mind because you're right about what Schumer said. Gorsuch and Kavanaugh and, and later Amy Coney Barrett, you know, that if you continue with these decisions, you will reap the whirlwind, etc. cetera. Yeah. Why Thomas? Why not one of the new, uh, you know, members, the new originalists, as yeah. you say? Why not Alito yeah. to the level that they have Justice Thomas? It,
4: great question. And, you know, it's funny. When, when the Dobbs decision came out, the person that went, they went the most after was Justice Thomas, even though Justice Alito wrote the opinion. I think it goes back to about all the way back to 1991. I worked on that confirmation. I was right there with Justice Thomas, and it was a horrible, horrible, horrible time, of, as we talked about. Um, but they failed. You know, and when you fail to take somebody out and you spend that much time, you hate that person, uh, and um, at least the left does. And so, uh, and, and I think Thomas is the most influential justice on the court, and so he's the leader, and he's somebody that, and he's a black conservative, which it, it really, really sends the left into spasms. Uh, that Clarence Thomas does not, you know, uh, subscribe to the way they think a black person has to think. It's really racist. It's it's utterly racist. But you know, he stands there unbowed, seven hundred plus opinions, and they know he's the leader, and that is the person that drives him crazy. And he never bows, right? Even on so some of these opinions, just like his, his um, Dobbs concurrence, right? Which talked about substantive due process and how a whole host of other opinions are probably unconstitutional. So right. Thomas is, as I always describe, unbowed. They're taking their shots at him and it's not fun for him. Uh, but he just, he just drives the left crazy, unlike any justice in history. Uh, and, um, and it's, and it's, it's dangerous. Uh, and uh, it's unnerving. But um, but it, it, and that's why people need to push back and explain to the American people why this is why this attack is happening and, ex- and kind of pull it apart to, to understand, right. you know, what the left is doing.
5: Mark Payland is my guest. Mark is a biographer of uh, Clarence Thomas. He is a close personal friend of Clarence Thomas. Uh, He uh, obviously worked, as we just discussed, to uh, get Clarence Thomas confirmed to the Supreme Court way back in 1991 during the quote-unquote high-tech lynching. And now uh, you rise to the defense of Justice Thomas unlike really uh, anyone else. Um, Let's talk about the allegations. ProPublica and this is kind of re- reprinted from uh, by the Daily Dot, uh, kind of kind of summarizing this. They claim that um, the trips and vacations and so forth that Justice Thomas has received from wealthy friends and perhaps influential individuals uh, include, and I'll quote, a cadre of industry titans and ultra wealthy executives. End quote. Giving him thirty eight destination vacations, yacht trips in the Bahamas, eight helicopter trips. 26 private jet jaunts, skybox tickets to a dozen sporting and professional events, lavish resort stays in Jamaica and Florida, and an Uber-exclusive invite to one of the choosiest golf clubs in the world. End quote. so, Mark, they're very specific in the, the number of things that they are saying are questionable ethics wise. Eight trips, 26 jet Johnson, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. That's a lot of stuff. And, and to a layperson just hearing this for the first time, they would say, Oh my gosh, you know, this guy is just living lavishly, lavishly on the dime of other people. Clearly, he is, he is not objective and he is not following the ethics rules of the Supreme Court. That's what somebody who doesn't know anything would say. Yeah. How do you respond to all of that?
4: Yeah, so first of all, none, so Justice Thomas has lots of friends, some of whom are wealthy. But, but the first thing to start off with is there's not a single person there uh, that, of these friends who has business before the Supreme Court. So that's one of these things, as you see in the articles, they say they may have, or we haven't identified anything yet. So there's nothing that any of these friends of Justice Thomas you know, has with respect to business before the Supreme Court. Second, this pro publica story, I don't know where they get these numbers from. I do know this. They go off on detail, okay one of their their big story in this latest attack right, is that Justice Thomas was in the Bahamas and was sailing on a yacht with a friend named Tony davelli um, you know in the, in the past few years okay that's a, and they, they described the boat I think it's called the Le Montrachet or something like that it's a hundred twenty six foot yacht. They have eight photos of it um, uh, in, in the article, and it's all a complete lie. Justice Thomas has not been in the Bahamas since the 1980s. Okay, He didn't meet Tony Novelli till the 2005. He's never been on a boat, never, I should say, sailed on a boat owned by Tony Novelli. That boat that's referenced in the, in the story or any other boat. There was a boat that Tony Novelli co-owned with a friend of Justice Thomas that was docked um, down in Florida. And he literally walked on the boat uh, to get a, a, a tour of the, if you know anything about Justice Thomas, he loves engines. <laughs> so he we went down into the, into the engine room for about 30 minutes. Uh, with the with the captain looked at it and got off. Didn't sail. Didn't do anything. It was it was you know it's at, it at the dock. Um, that is the only boat. It was called the Daybreak in Florida. Okay? He has never been with Tony novelli in the Bahamas. So this story, right? I'm not sure the editorial standards or the fact checking standards of ProPublica, but it is an utter lie. Okay. One of the other stories you talk about these, these uh, tickets and that sort of thing. Yes. He went to a college football game with his friend David Sokol. Okay. Um, to, to, to see the Nebraska Cornhuskers. He was in a box. Um, those tickets have a specific price. I got it from the athletic department it was $65 for the ticket. Okay. The reporting requirement is $415. Okay. His wife w- w- was there with him. So whatever. The, I don't know what that math is $130. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, um, uh, he didn't have to report it. But I go back to Bob and I put some of this up and I urge your li- uh, listeners to, to follow me at, at Mark Paoletta on Twitter or on X now, because there are I, I put up scores of photos of Barack Obama or Joe Biden or Jill Biden sitting in the, you know, the, the box with Roger Goodell at the Supreme Court, uh, at the Super Bowl or you know, Barack Obama sitting courtside at games or Joe Biden sitting at, in boxes. Right behind home plate. Those are, nobody raises a question about, their, and they're governed by the same reporting law. of Of why is this Why, why is this person sitting here? Did he pay for this ticket? It's, it's now in Justice Thomas's case, it was a sixty five dollar ticket. But the way the ProPublica writes about it, it's like it's a forty thousand dollar ticket, and, and, and Justice Thomas broke the law by not reporting it. It's just this sort of gaslighting that goes on to attack Thomas on every single thing he does. Joe Biden, I put this up too on my, on my, Justice Thomas has friends who have nice homes. He goes and stays with them. He visits them, okay? In the ProPublica story, they talk about David Sokol's home down in Florida. Yes, it's nice. I've been down there, okay? He has a home out in, in, uh, in Wyoming, but they're their homes. He went to visit his friends at their homes. Contrast that with Joe Biden, who literally goes and takes donors' homes, who he's not friends with, right? They're not there at the home. And he uses it. He's never reported that, uh, that stay, uh, and he's, and I've documented all the times he's done it as vice president or president. Um, and so it's this attack. I call it the weaponization of ethics. Um, now going back to, uh, the larger issue, Bob, of, of, of Justice Thomas and traveling, mm-hmm. what ProPublica left out of their very first piece on Justice Thomas, okay, is that, um, uh, there is a provision, uh, you know, that allows justices when they're with, with what's called personal hospitality, they're going with their friends. They're not people with business before the court. That's extremely important to, to, to make clear. Okay. They're just his friends and they have a nice home. Uh, he goes up to a, a, a summer home in, in the Adirondacks and hangs out with his friends. Okay. That is called personal hospitality. Okay. And it's not required to be reported in 2011. 20 Democrat members of Congress filed a complaint with the Judicial Conference claiming that Justice Thomas should be reporting these things on his forms. And you know what? In 2012, after the Judicial Conference, and that's the governing body that implements the the relevant law called the Ethics and Government Act, the the ethics disclosure laws, the Judicial Conference does that for the judiciary. They looked at this and issued a letter saying Justice Thomas hasn't omitted any information from his forms, okay? And... Boom, they moved on. with That was back in 2012. That complaint concerns his friend Harlan Crowe and some of the tricks Justice Thomas had taken with Harlan Crowe. He's friends with them. Uh, And so, um, you know, that's what ProPublica has left out of their story, which basically explodes the whole basis for the story. Now, you talk about trips. And so sometimes it's like Justice Thomas hasn't disclosed it or some people not liking that he went on a number of trips. If you look at the number of trips Ruth Bader Ginsburg went on, was hundreds of trips. Okay? Justice Breyer went on 233 trips, okay? 17 of them paid for by the Pritzker uh, billionaire family, okay? Um, all over the world. He called them fly arounds to Spain and Ireland. So it's not uncommon for, for public officials to, 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 to fly somewhere, um, uh, but it's the attack on Justice Thomas and saying it's, uh, you know, he's violating the law which is, which is dishonest.
5: We are talking to Mark Paoletta. Mark is uh, is uh, one of the most influential members in in uh, uh, Justice uh, Clarence Thomas's inner circle. He was a big part of him getting uh, confirmed to the Supreme Court, and he has uh, written a book about him. He is also a good friend. You wrote this piece for the Wall Street Journal earlier this month, just what what a week and a half ago, uh, about some of what you're telling us right now. And how do you, Mark, respond to those who are seizing upon? justice thomas's own words when asked about these things that include i have always endeavored to follow all of the ethics rules and the reporting rules and uh if rules have changed i will try or and i'm paraphrasing this part now uh to do the same in other words endeavoring is is and trying are different than actually doing sure. and they're oh, seizing absolutely. upon that yeah. as saying that he's almost admitting that he hasn't reported everything he should
4: uh so Bob, so the the Ethics in Government Act, right, is the law that governs all these disclosures for executive branch officials, um, congressional officials, and judicial officials, okay? So everybody in the government uh, lives by this law. And I would hazard to guess that almost every single member of Congress and staffer, every single member of Congress, okay, has made an error on their form, okay, and had to amend it. Okay, I invite your readers to go to... um, Open Secrets, it's called, um, or or Court Listener, and and look at uh, some of the uh, amendments. So people make honest mistakes. Um, so Justice Thomas, a few years ago, had um, uh, his wife had worked in the government, and then she moved into the private sector and in, to the Heritage Foundation, and he had um, forgotten to list her on that. So he, you know, when it was brought to his attention, he amended it. So those things happen all the time with with public officials. So you know, and, and Justice Breyer. Justice Sotomayor uh, last year, she had gone on, I think, six trips in 2016, okay, paid for, paid for by other people, okay, to go speak um, uh, at different universities or different events, okay? She forgot to, 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 to disclose them, six of them, until uh, 2016, until 2022. So I don't question her ethics on that. She, uh, she, she forgot, okay? She, she, it was an oversight, but that happens all the time. If you look at the justices, um, Justice Ginsburg has filed multiple amendments, uh, back when she was on the court. So it's not, we, we wish we we're all perfect, okay, uh, in terms of our filing, but you make your best, you know, good faith. Um, you, you might have forgotten something. Uh, you may have forgotten, uh, you know, um, that somehow you sold something or whatever it is. Um, and so it's not unusual is the point. And so that's why Justice Thomas
5: styled yeah, it that way. And, and Mark, uh, we're just about out of time. I want to do what you said a moment ago and steer people to your Twitter feed or X feed, which is Mark Paoletta. For those who don't know, Letta, Mark Paoletta, uh, because especially the thread that you have, and I'm going to retweet it as well so people can find it. If you follow me on Twitter, you'll be able to see it then as well. Um, But my last question to you is, before people go and read those uh, very important tweets, that thread that you put together is, why does Justice Thomas still do it? You know, they're coming for him with all of these extraordinarily... uh, politicized unfounded accusations they're trying to tear him apart they're trying to tear his life apart his legacy and i understand what you said at the beginning that they're going after the court because of its current makeup and of course dobbs and so forth but they're targeting justice thomas it just makes me wonder when he's going to say man enough of this crap uh i'm i'm done and and retire from the court any reason why he keeps going that you know you
4: know bob he's he's committed to the job. He loves his job. And I've put this up on Twitter, too. Your your listeners can find it. There's a great clip from that movie, Created Equal, uh, which is uh, where he says, I don't run from bullies. I never back down. I never cry uncle. So you attack Justice Thomas, and it may not be pleasant for him, but he's not backing down. Uh, And I think he understands also, right, that they're doing it to other justices. He's the one who's getting it the most, right? But you've seen them go after Justice Alito and and Gorsuch and, and Barrett. Um, and, and even Roberts. And so Justice Thomas is the leader and it's by his example that I think a lot of them get strength. And so, uh, so he's not going away. He's in great shape. Okay. The best shape he's been in a long time. I, you know, he's only 75 years old. Uh, you know, Justice Stephen served until he was 90. Uh, so, uh, he's got some years on the court. He loves it. He understands, uh, you know, and that, that th- 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 his profound impact. Uh, he would never talk about that, but in terms of on on American jurisprudence. so um, he's a, he's a man of principle and he's not backing down and he, and he doesn't like bullies. <laughs> uh, I'll say that. And I said one more thing. Well, I love um them. thanks for mentioning my my Twitter feed. mark dot com is where I put all my articles too. So they're all up there sitting there uh, for your for your your folks, even, uh, even to read better.
5: Even better. Thank you, Mark. I'm glad you told me that. Yeah, and I'm so glad that he is not a man who will back down in the face of this incessant uh, uh, attacking and the slander of his character and of his, of his record. Mark Paletta, thank you for what you're doing. I appreciate it very much, and uh, we'll keep following up with you. As long as they're going to keep attacking him, we'll give you the opportunity to respond on his behalf. Thank you so much, Mark.
4: Thanks, Bob. Okay. All right, you got it.
5: 1029, we took it all the way to the news. That means we've got to catch up a little bit. We'll do that, and then we'll come back with phone calls.
0: Keeping you informed among the uninformed. Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on The Answer.
5: All right, two very different and very important interviews uh, since we started out the program this morning talking about the November ballot initiative and uh, the constitutional amendment we will be voting on. Uh, I want to go back to that now, if I may, and I welcome you at two one six nine zero one zero nine four five triple eight two eight one eleven ten to join me in this conversation because uh, it 's a pretty pretty big deal um, the pro death cult, otherwise known as the pro abortionists are saying it out loud essentially that they are looking to remove parental rights they 're looking to stop parents from being able to protect. And guide and counsel and yes, parent their children uh, when it comes to matters that the left believes should be left up to the children, including matters of reproductive health. And that means if one of them gets pregnant, if your teenage daughter, or even sadly and uh, really, really unfortunately, uh, preteens in some cases, but if your daughter, uh, daughters get pregnant one way or another, or uh, your kids fall victim to the social contagion and the influencers of our time and want to change their sex, which of course directly impacts their uh, reproductive health decisions as well, that parents should be left out of this. Uh, There was an article in the Cincinnati Inquirer I referred to before, and I'll go back to now. Uh, The executive director of Pro-Choice Ohio named Kelly Copeland um, basically said that pro-abortion activists in this state, our state, should indeed work on eliminating parental consent laws around abortion and other reproductive rights decisions. Specifically, uh, Kelly Copeland and others are talking about abortion, but, but more generally because of the vagueness with which they wrote the uh, uh, Congressional Amendment language, um, it, it can impact them in their decisions uh, when it comes to health or uh, gender change or sex change operations as well. Until now, quoting from the Cincinnati, or rather, quoting from National Review, citing the Cincinnati article, Cincinnati Inquirer article. Until now, activists beyond a ballot measure have rejected claims that they're seeking to remove parental consent laws. There is absolutely nothing in the amendment that mentions or supersedes Ohio's parental consent laws, said Dr. Lauren Bean, uh, Executive Director of Ohio Phys- Physicians for Reproductive Rights. The amendment includes, and I've gone through this, vague language about prohibiting any law that directly or indirectly would burden or interfere with reproductive decisions for individuals not identified by age or limited or restricted by age. Opponents argue, of course, as we are, that the law, um, uh, the measure or the amendment would outlaw nearly any restriction on abortion up until the moment of birth or other reproduction related procedures including sex change operations the inquiry article acknowledged that the ohio constitution would supersede state law where most abortion policy is written so what do we have in the ohio revised code right now even though it's under a court challenge we have what we have the heartbeat law What's the heartbeat bill for many, many years? It was signed one of the few acts that were actually decent by Mike DeWine. It was signed into law. We have a heartbeat law that says when a fetal heartbeat is detected, now there are clearly two uh, individuals, two patients that need to be protected by medical personnel. There's two pr- because human beings don't have two hearts. If there's another heart, well, there's another being. Um, so that's that would be wiped out by this that would be wiped out by the constitutional amendment that would go in if we allow this nonsense to pass on November 7th. Meanwhile, Copeland, the director, as I noted, of the um, uh, uh, pro-choice Ohio group, Copeland told Cincinnati Inquirer that activists will need to deal with parental consent. Quote, I do have concerns about what we can do for minors who are in those situations where they cannot safely involve their parents. I think that's something really important, something we should work on. In other words, cut parents out of the loop for fear of parents being not supportive of the decisions that are being pushed upon or or had or made by the minors themselves. She went on to suggest that most minors talk to their parents about abortion anyway. Quote, the ones who don't are often ones who cannot safely do that. And I'm always concerned that those people find a way to safely access care when they need to. And I want to pause there to underscore what I said in the first hour. They're concerned about the safety of the children of abusive parents. That's what she's saying there. The ones who don't are often ones who cannot safely talk to their parents, meaning it won't be safe for them to do so because the parents might do something to harm them, physically or emotionally, presumably. And I'll say it again. The height of of hypocrisy, the irony of ironies, that the pro-death cult is concerned about parents not harming their kids when they themselves are supportive of pregnant mothers dismembering their children or suctioning them out piece by piece, whatever other way that they can, depending on the level of uh, gestation, the moment of gestation that they decide to terminate the life of that baby. They're concerned about the safety and well-being of children, of abusive parents, but they're supportive of the parents killing their kids. Make that make sense. Amy Natosi, press secretary for Protect Women Ohio, which has been leading the opposition, said in a statement that supporters of the measure are, quote, finally admitting what we have been saying all along, that this amendment is an anti-parent Trojan horse. Issue one would wipe out existing and future parental involvement laws, cutting parents out of some of the most important and life-altering decisions affecting their child. Not only that, but the proposed amendment outlaws any protections for women and unborn children, even through the ninth month of pregnancy. This amendment is way too extreme for Ohio, end quote. Amy is right. It is, and quite frankly, this amendment, were it to go in and, again, supersede all existing legislative law in the Ohio Revised Code, if this were to go in, it would be more extreme than really any other in the country. Since when? Did a pro-life, red state like Ohio become more radical and extreme than left-wing, pro-abortion states like California and New York and Colorado and others? Why? How could this happen? And the answer is it can't if we don't let it. And yeah, I'm going to cheerlead for the next nine weeks, getting out there and putting the no back in November. No, in freaking November on this particular ballot const, uh, ballot item this constitutional amendment because it is as radical as Amy just said in that piece going back to the national review The proposed amendment was written by the ACLU, has spent years fighting for removing parental involvement from abortion and gender transition procedures. The group says on its website, the ACLU does, that parental consent and notification laws restrict teenagers' access to abortion. In 2016, the ACLU sided with Planned Parenthood in a lawsuit that aimed to overturn parental notification laws in the state of Alaska. One year later, the ACLU argued that parental consent laws in Indiana created an unconstitutional undue burden. The group is currently campaigning for a constitutional amendment in Oregon that would allow children to get an abortion without parents' knowledge. Do you understand how radical this is? Do you understand how extreme it is that the left wing of this country literally wants to usurp the rights of parents to take them away from the people who are whose whose job it is whose whose glorious opportunity it is to raise their kids in a manner they see fit to raise them with a mother and a father teaching them pro-life messaging pro-family values they want to take those Uh, parents away from the, out of the equation because it's getting in the way of the fundamental transformation that we hear about all the time of the country. Parents are an obstacle. Those obstacles have to be removed and now they're saying it out loud. ACLU of Ohio attorney Jesse Hill was straightforward with reporters about the, uh, this, this constitutional amendment's intent saying that it would quote, Mean that laws that conflict with it cannot be enforced and should not be enforced, end quote. That includes existing laws on parental consent for things like life altering decisions, abortion, trans into, uh, you know, a sex change, and so forth. In Michigan, voters there approved a pro abortion uh, issue last year. Activists are now pushing to eliminate the parental consent requirement. Quote, to remove the burdens placed on young people who need access to reproductive health care, which is their gentle euphemism for abortion and transing, we must repeal Michigan's outdated parental consent law. It's literally in their language. It's in their verbiage. Parents, you don't have the right. Now, let's let's grow that a little bit and see where it goes. And let's take a look at what's happening in a couple of other states, like California. I mentioned them a moment ago. The Attorney General in the state of California is launching its own, his own, all-out assault on parents and their rights, with new language in a lawsuit asserting state control over school children. Wait, what? State Attorney General Rob Bonta sued to stop a new policy in Southern Southern California School District that requires schools to notify parents whenever a child decides to identify as something other than what they are or begins that transing process and begins to pursue gender transition. The new guidelines adopted by the Chino Valley Unified School District in July, we told you this in July, in fact, would have required schools to tell parents if their kids sought to do such things, like change their pronouns, uh, participate in the opposite sex in sports, usually that's always male into female, uh, bathroom assignments, locker room, shower rooms, and so forth, if they request those things. The new uh, policy in that particular district is parents must be notified immediately. Because why wouldn't you? You have a child exhibiting What? A child exhibiting symptoms of psychological impairment, psychological disorders. Because that's what it is. That's what gender dysphoria is. There's actual gender dysphoria, which is a psychological disorder. And then there is the social contagion of transgender movement, of the transgender movement, which is also a psychological decision, or excuse me, condition. And children need therapy, psychological therapy, not... Somebody going along with their delusion. And parents need to know what's going on. But in California, the AG there is suing the district to stop the parents from being notified. Quote, every student has the right to learn and thrive in a school environment that promotes safety, privacy, and inclusivity, regardless of their gender identity. We are challenging Chino Valley Unified's forced outing policy for wrongfully and unconstitutionally discriminating against and violating the privacy rights of LGBTQ students. Let me stop there and say, and, and kind of summarize that. They're saying that parents, your rights end at the school door. Your rights end when your kids enter the building. When they go into the building, you're no longer in charge of their lives. We are. And what kind of buildings are we talking about? Government buildings. Schools are government schools. Especially when you have the government, the state attorney general, they're basically saying that you don't have the rights anymore once your kids get there. Of course, it is government controlled. Do you have any earthly idea how dangerous this is? Let's continue. Let's go a little bit north of California. Let's talk about what they're doing in, um, in uh, the state of Washington. <clears throat> in Washington, they are now essentially saying that they can kidnap the children, kidnap the children, of parents who won't go along with their kid's new identity, their new succumbing to the social contagion and the pressure of the influencers and so forth. And if you won't do what your kid tells you they want to do, they'll take them from you. You think that's an exaggeration? I don't. America First Legal filed a lawsuit against Washington Governor Jay Inslee to block enforcement of SB 5599. That allows shelters to provide sex transition services without notice, much less consent, from the child's parents. The new law would permit shelters, or does permit shelters in Washington Washington, to take in minor children and assist them into transitioning to a different sex, which could include chemical sterilization and or genital mutilation, all without the consent or knowledge of the parent's. Under the previous Washington state law, a shelter would be required to contact the parents at the latest within 72 hours of a child showing up there, and the notification would include a description of the child's physical and emotional condition and circumstances, all conveyed to the parents. The only exception to that rule is if there were compelling reasons not to notify the parents, which are limited to circumstances that indicated that uh, notifying the parent would subject the minor to physical abuse or, or neglect. But if a child is in a healthy household but shows up on the doorstep now of one of these shelters, the shelters will take them in and not even notify the parents that they have them, much less what they are uh, allowing those children to do while in quote-unquote government care. This is state-sanctioned kidnapping. Nothing less. You think I'm done? Not at all. We can also go into New Jersey, where the New Jersey Governor, Phil Murphy, has sued schools to stop parental notification of gender social transitioning of their kids as well. Not dissimilar from the California story we just talked about where the state attorney general there's filing the lawsuit here it's the governor it it's the governor of the state of New Jersey filing suit to stop school districts from telling parents when the kids that are in their care during the day decide that they want to be something else and this is this is grotesque this is this is Again, I know it's an overused phrase to say this crosses the Rubicon, but how else can we say it? Now, if you think I'm done, I'm still not done. It gets worse. It gets worse from our schools to our health centers, our hospitals, our health care providers. Now the health care providers are getting in on the act. And they are also recommending, if not requiring, that gender-affirming care be given to children as young as four years old without parental consent. If you think that's an exaggeration, stay here. I'll tell you the rest of that story next. It's 1054, Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer.
0: Is always right. Radio with Bob France on AM fourteen twenty. The answer.
4: Hour
5: number three underway now. It's eight minutes past eleven o'clock. Thanks for being with us. It is Always Right Radio on this Wednesday, the 30th morning of the 8th month, year of our Lord, 2023. Jack Windsor is not available today for his regular Wednesday hit, but that's okay. He gave me an hour yesterday. The two of us, I should say, gave it. We are co-hosts of the um, still as as of yet unnamed podcast. Um, in fact, we it, it dropped last night. Uh, we recorded it in the afternoon because he had an engagement last night, and uh, we dropped it last night around 7 o'clock. And we called it the Still Unnamed Podcast with Bob and Jack because we decided we wanted to rebrand since this is like four months since our last podcast. You know, we we pod, podca- we podcast did our podcast, I want to say, from like October of 22 to about April of 23. And then Jack went ahead and got married and threw the whole thing off, off, off kilter. Uh, so <laughs> I'm just kidding. Whitney and Jack, congratulations. But anyway, we've been off since uh, April. So we decided to relaunch with a rebrand. We're going to name it something else. I told you this yesterday and um seth help me out here because off the air yesterday we stumbled onto something um i i, I you 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 texted me after i said um um we're we're just we're not going to name it until we get it right or something and you said that's what you should call it how how did
6: that go um you said the right answer. You've got the right answer. Yeah, until we get the right answer. Until we get the right answer. And so I said that would be a great one because it's got double meaning. The right answer you guys are always right. And then right uh, as far as the lean of the show.
5: Which is exactly why the show is called Always Right Radio. It's uh, right. it's a it's a yeah. double entendre as well. So uh so you know what's funny, Seth, um we did the podcast yesterday and I was telling Jack that story about what you and I did when you know you mentioned that, the right answer would be a good name for the podcast. Um and I and I and I did it again with a different phrase. I said, you know, recounting all of this, I don't want to repeat it again, but recounting all of this, I said to him, so we're going to kind of still be an unnamed podcast until we figure out what it ought to be. And then because of what you told me, you know, with the, you know, uh, uh, the right answer, yeah. I said, there it is again. I just tripped over it. I, 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 how about what it ought to be as a title? because that's go. exactly what we do. We talk about the way things ought to be all the time. And Jack reminded me of Rush's old book, one of his one of his many books. Um Rush Limbaugh wrote years and years ago it was called The Way Things Ought to Be. Yeah. I didn't even think of it when I said it. I was just like I said, I just kind of made a statement about, you know, we'll call it nothing until we figure out what it ought to be. And now I like that even better.
6: What do you that, think? That is fantastic and honestly the homage to the yeah. great one rush yeah. I mean, it would be fantastic as well no that's re- that's really good i like that
5: yeah just what it ought to be with bob bob francis and jack windsor I, i'm i'm really leaning that way right now and of course i got to get jack sign off too we're doing this whole thing together but um you know the right answer would have worked uh the, what it ought to be would have worked i still like poor men north of portsmouth which is uh which is <laughs> which is what we are uh, uh just just uh, a, i like that good. <laughs> that was I, I was playing uh <clears throat> the actual um Richmond, Arthur Rich- Richmond, uh, you know, that continues to be such a phenomenal hit. In fact, why not? Let's just have some fun.
3: I've been selling my soul, I've been selling my soul. Only once, only once.
5: Now. We don't need it in stereo. Sorry about that. I double tapped it.
3: Well, I've been selling my soul, working all day, overtime hours for bullshit play, so I can sit out here and waste my life away. Drag back home and drown my troubles away It's a damn shame what the world's gotten to For people like me, people like you Wish I could just wake up and it not be true But it is, oh it is, living in the new world
5: Obviously, poor men north of, you know where Portsmouth is, right, Seth? Of course. Down, down there in southern Ohio.
3: Look out for miners, and not just miners on an island somewhere. Lord, we got folks in the street, ain't got nothing to eat, and the whole beast, milk and welfare. God, if you're five foot three, and you're 300. You know, but I know that you do, cause your dollar hangs and it's taxed to no end, calls the men, north the
5: This is one of the uh this is one of the few songs that I can just listen to on a loop. Just let it replay again and again. I do that sometimes on my phone, I kid you not, during the day.
3: I've been selling my soul, working all day, over time hours for bullshit bulls pay
6: um, Hey, Bob, anyway, quick, quick story, Bob, Yeah, about that song. Don't yeah, mean to interrupt. Let's hear, it. let's hear it. But I went to a Meyer gas station the other day yeah. on Broadview Road, and that song was actually playing over the speakers outside uh, in the gas station area. That's awesome. And there were two people now the station was packed but two people you could see them mouthing the words to the song really and it was amazing i almost took a video of it because it, i was it, like oh my god
5: it it man it is a song it i i it it grabs you you know you're not know, like on your phone if if you have an iphone i don't know if android probably has something similar i guess but um you can hit Shuffle and shuffle all your music, or you can hit replay and just have it, like, play the same song again and again. I've actually done that a few different times with that song. It just freaking screams at you the way so many of us feel, you know? And that's why it took off. It took off because it's what so many people feel about dc the rich men north of richmond and the way he sings it jack was talking about this on the podcast yesterday too he said you just hear the tenseness in his voice and the and it's same thing i said when i first heard it and we talked about it um you, you, the way the way he is breathing so hard when he says some of those words the passion is what gets you as much as the actual words um <clears throat> but it's it it i'm telling you i i, I there, there are some songs <clears throat> that become earworms. They call them earworms or earbugs or whatever, where you get stuck in your head and you just can't not hear it. It just plays over again and again. That's another thing. If I probably in a half an hour when the show is over, this is still the the the, the guitar is going to still be in my head, and I'm going to start hearing the lyrics in my head again because it has that kind of effect, and that's why bringing this full circle, rich men, North of Richmond. I thought for our podcast, poor men, North of Portsmouth, I got to do some salesmanship with Jack on that. He's not real. He's not real up on it uh, or, 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 you know, down with it, I guess. Uh, so maybe if you reach out to Jack and tell him you like poor men, North of Portsmouth, that'll be our podcast. Um, (laughs) uh, but I would very much like you to do that. Seriously. Find Jack on, um, on, uh, uh, his Facebook page. It's very popular, but just since I brought it up, Seth, and you can tell me how you feel about it too. I'm I'm really interested in other thoughts on this too. And we talked about this on the podcast, which again you can find on any of my social media and Jack's social media. It's also on my Rumble page. Look for Always Right Radio. Um, Oliver Anthony, who is the singer, there is making some comments and doing some interviews now about how he is not conservative and he doesn't know why conservatives seem to think he's one of that that he's one of us. Um, he was responding specifically to the fact that last week in the the first debate uh, on the 23rd, they used his song. And then they asked Ron DeSantis and a couple of others what that meant to them. And, you know, he kind of said, uh, you know, I don't know why they think that I'm one of them. I'm not. Uh, but he said, I'm also, you know, people think the song is written about Biden and it's not. It's about way more than him. It's much bigger than him. He said, I'm politically neutral. The guys on that stage are just as much to blame as, as anybody else. And I i Again, I'm kind of repeating what I said in the podcast yesterday, so I apologize for those who already heard it. But it bothers me that he thinks that we claimed him. Like, oh, that song's great, he's ours, he's one of us. We didn't. It's just that the left rejected him. The left attacked him for that song. First of all, because they're, it's country, and most of them think country music artists and country music fans are nothing but redneck racists. So they didn't like it from the start. Same thing with the, uh, 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 try that in a small town with Jason Aldean. They're automatically predisposed to hate it because they think it's redneck racism. But then, secondly, they rejected his lyrics. They were the ones who said he's fat shaming because of that line about if you, you know, the obese on welfare. First, he's fat shaming, five foot three and 300 pounds. Taxes ought not to pay for your bag of fudge rounds. You know, he's fat shaming, he's making fun of people who are on welfare. Which, and these, are, of course, are just all left-wing, you know, tropes. This is this is what they do. Um, you know, t- you, uh, the dollar ain't blank. You know, it's taxed to no end. Well, which, which party, which ideology is in favor of higher taxes to let government spend anything they want and control everything they want? And which one is about tax breaks? Because we believe that, you know, more money in the hands of more consumers is better for our economy than turning more of our money over to the government to spend on crap or to spend overseas who who's who's really for taxing to no end the democrats are so they they rejected his song you know about the taxes about the fa- i mean literally everything about it and we didn't reject it so so suddenly it becomes a quote-unquote conservative anthem a big you know it's a it's a song that's, that's, that's about conservatives, for conservatives, and anti-Biden, and blah, blah, blah. No, it's not. We didn't embrace him. We didn't embrace it, really. We just didn't hate him. They hated him, and so they said, therefore, this is obviously an appeal to conservatives. And if that's the case, fine, because it does appeal to me. But I want Oliver Anthony to know I'm not judging his politics, but the words of his song are spot on, uh, and, the, and they kind of mirror a lot of what we believe.
6: Well, that's just it, that, and you're, you're spot on. He, if you listen to the rest of his songs, he's certainly not a, a, a conservative <laughs> by no means. Uh, but he's an American, and it's an American anthem. That's what it is. It's a middle-class american anthem and it has nothing to do with politics but you're spot on with the fact that the left is are the one that denounced him as being whatever he they want him to be and they were wrong it's a middle-class american anthem And if you listen to the rest of the song he's definitely not uh conservative but he's kind of middle of the road kind of guy he's he's smoking himself in the woods yeah (laughs) he
5: describes himself as politically neutral which is fine i'm not saying he has to be a republican or vote republican but the things that he sang about um mirrored some of the things that I support. And you know what? You just, what you just said Seth too is huge. When you said it's, you know, he's an American and it's kind of more of an American anthem and I'll be honest with you the left doesn't like that. Not every single member of the political left, but as a as a as a an ideology, they don't like pro-patriot, pro-American anthems. They don't like American, pro-family, pro-law and order type stuff. Like uh, try that in a small town. They don't like that stuff, um, and and that's why they condemn it. They condemn Jason Aldean. They condemn him. They condemn anybody who sings about things that are basically <clears throat> pro. Uh, you know, America first, and and like I said, police and law and order and things of that nature—they don't like it. Uh, and so it becomes a conservative anthem simply by the virtue of the fact that the liberals hate it. When the left hates something, and, and we don't, suddenly it becomes part of us, then that's fine with me. But all they're all they're doing is outing themselves as being anti-American and anti, uh, you know, supportive of these types of of, of messages and these songs. So there you go. I might have to take a survey. I might have to put it on Twitter. Do you like poor men north of Portsmouth? Uh, and, and I've got people texting me right now. Pete, no, that doesn't work. Don't be silly. You have poor men south of Lake Erie. No, the, it has to. No, it has to have poor in it. Yeah, poor the, men uh, south
6: of the North Coast. No, the alliteration. The reason it
5: works exactly. Poor
6: men north of Portsmouth or south of Port. North of Portsmouth podcast. I mean, it's a p p p p kind yeah,
5: of. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and of course it's playing off of rich men north of richmond poor men north of portsmouth because it's in southern ohio it just works uh but if you like that let me know if you like uh what it ought to be uh let me know if you like the right uh uh the right answer which is another good one that Seth came up with with yesterday i might have to do a little survey there uh let's get a call in here from Sally and uh Bria she's been sitting there waiting for enough time now Sally fire away go ahead
4: hi bob uh um, I just have a point, actually a couple of points, but the first one is about um, with the amendment. Um, Supposing if it passed, God forbid, and a minor gets an abortion without parental consent and they come home and they're okay and then a day or two later they have complications, wonder who is going to get the bill for the medical treatment? And the other point is the ambiguity. They did that for a reason. Just yeah. like issue one, issue one failed because people were confused, and so they they don't want to specify anything. They want to leave it open, which will make a Pandora's box for the Ohio Constitution to enshrine infanticide and the mutilation of minors. That's it. Thanks.
5: Okay. Thank you. Yeah. It, and it is the mess. It is the intentional. I should say this is uh, this is about you know. I don't want to sound like I'm going back on my own word here when I said this is about abortion and nothing else because I'm about to do that somewhat. It is, but it isn't. It's about, as Amy Natosi from uh, Ohio Right to Life and others have said, it's about stripping parents' rights. It's about breaking up families. That is not an unintended consequence, it is the intent of the movement. It's all part of the Marxist theory to break up the family in order to separate children from their parents and their family values and to get them under the control of the state, the mind control, literally, of the state. That is precisely what this intended to do. So I want everybody to understand that. It is about abortion, yes, but it is about so much more than abortion because there are things... um, I will not say worse than, but as bad as abortion, that their intentions are here. Um, let's take a time out. It's eleven twenty-five. We'll take a time out. Come back, get a couple more calls, then we'll have uh, one more segment. After that, always right radio, AM fourteen twenty. The answer,
0: enlightening the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always right radio with Bob France and the Answer.
5: Okay, 11:35. <clears throat> got time for uh just a few more phone calls here before we're done. We're going to ask Bill O'Reilly to take you to the top of the hour. Then we'll do our uh then we'll do our Charlie Kirk for you. Then we'll give you some Dennis Prager, some Dr. G, some Seculo, a little bit of Officer Tatum, stay here on always right radio AM 1420. The Answer. This is unbelievable. Uh I'm going to go to the calls here, but uh I just I just got a I got a post from I mean a message from uh, AMAC. I'm, I belong to Americans uh or excuse me, um um, uh, um, why am I think not being able to remember Amac Amer- uh, Americans Mature Americans Association Mature American Citizens Amac Wow that was rough sorry uh, but I've been a member for a couple of years now and uh, I just I get uh, links from time to time on important things that we need to know and I just got this one during the last break Adult entertainers invite kids Do you know that we are just uh, what three months ish away from Christmas? There is a quote-unquote family-friendly drag queen Christmas tour that they say is selling out across America. It contains a video that you will not want to watch. It will make you sick to your stomach. They say, they right here, does AMAC, uh, that uh, you'll want to gouge your eyes out. The Christmas drag tour makes the Nuns of Perpetual Indulgence, which is the group that was honored by the Dodgers, if you remember, back during the month of Groom. Um, It makes it look modest. Um, It it, it, it combines child-friendly Christmas decor with sex act simulation, masturbation simulations, sex organ prosthetics prominently displayed, uh, stories bragging about sexual encounters, engaging children in the audience with all of the above, If you watch the link featuring 57 seconds of horror, you now understand this is a massive child grooming tour designed to confuse and sexualize children for future exploitation. This is grotesque. I did an entire, what, 45 minutes of the show today just on some of the stories of uh, this transing of America and the sexual sexual exploitation of kids. Now, this is going to put that even on steroids. I'll post that on my social media. And I'll talk about it more tomorrow. We may even try to find somebody to get on to talk about it. Okay, uh, Joe in Westlake, though. Joe, you're up next. Fire away, Joe. Good morning, Bob. I'm picking my jaw off the floor after hearing that. Holy cow. But, yeah. you know, I was <laughs> I was doing some research on what is the most red state. And I was shocked to find out that Ohio is actually more of a red state, according to recent presidential votes, than Texas and Florida. The reason I don't understand that is because Texas and Florida has better taxation rules and also a less strict lockdown. So I'm wondering why is it we have a supposedly red Ohio, yet we keep passing fundamental liberal laws and governance? If we need to figure that out so we can stop the November election or the November amendment, what are your thoughts? Well, it's it's the shade of red that is at issue um you know i mean we we're rhino red in ohio we're not conservative red deep red we're 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 kind of pinkish hue red in ohio and we don't we don't pass uh, uh that kind of conservative legislation our leadership is weak uh at, at the uh, in the ohio state house in and in the, in the ohio senate and quite frankly um you know uh, the 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 uh Results that the survey that you just looked, you talked about showed between Texas and Florida. Um, I don't buy it. Here's, here's, I will say this though, Joe, and thanks for the call. I will say this though. One of the problems with Texas is it is a prime target, because there's no state taxes there like Florida, for blue state liberals who are tired of their taxes but don't want to vote out the liberals and change things there, so they just move to a different place like Texas. It's a huge draw. And they move to Texas, and they move to Florida, and they bring their left-wing values with them, and then they try to vote for, which is why some of these states are becoming more purplish than ours, and they vote for... Left wingers like them that are only going to, over time, turn them into the state that they just left. But there is a lot more, there are a lot more blue voters in those previously really strong red states like Texas than there were before because they're fleeing blue state America. Florida has just been glorious. you know, even though they have, you know, South Florida, particularly Dade County, which has never gone for a Republican in like six decades until Ron DeSantis, and he got over 50% of the vote there, which is crazy. Um, but Florida has been, uh, you know, much more of a purple state in the past as well. They are now strong and reliably red, in large part because of what Ron DeSantis has done. But of course, he won't be there forever, so we'll see. Joe, thank you. Derek is in uh, Richfield. Hi, Derek. Go ahead.
4: morning, Bob. Um so, I just have a suggestion for your podcast name. um hit me with so kind yeah, I, I kind of like the catchiness of the the rhyme
1: um I don't know what about I know it kind of' kind of simple. What about uh just taking it back with Bob and jack
5: yeah that's that's very similar to the original one we did the last time we had one. We called it Talk and Smack with Bob and Jack. We did right. the little rhyme thing we're just I think just trying to find something that's a little bit outside of that zone, something that's, you know, outside of the box, if you will. I kind of like the irreverent titles. Jack was just so we were so frustrated as we tried to overthink this. He just said, just call it Bob and Jack. Uh, which is which, you know, it's direct and, and people will know those first names probably in Ohio, but I'm trying to I'm trying to be a little bit more fun with it. So uh but but yeah, I in fact some of and thanks for the call, Derek. Some people have brought other variations of the with Bob and Jack. Like we had talk and smack with Bob and Jack We've had people suggest fight back with Bob and Jack. We've had people suggest um, talk back with Bob and Jack, and all of those other kind of rhymes, which you know we could do. But like I said, we're just trying to get out of something uh, into something different from what we did the last time around. Charlie is in uh, Brownell. Hey, Charlie, go ahead.
0: Hey, Bob, thanks for taking the call. Yes, sir. Joe Joe just stole my one of the reasons I was calling in because the irony that Ohio is. Considered a red state, and we are about to become the bluest of the blue if this passes in November. We'll both we'll have legalized pot, and we'll have abortion and trans-sexual stuff nonstop. Doctors will be flocking. Abortion doctors will be flocking to Ohio because this is where the money will be. It's, it's really, really scary. And uh, one other thing I've, I wanted to tell you, the name that I came up with is the state we are in. I just thought that was a, a, an idea, or even the ridiculous state we are in. And uh, finally, on the November thing, we shouldn't just say we're killing fetuses or killing, but we're killing our offspring. And I think that just resonates when people realize we are literally killing our offspring. So that's well, what I to not
5: say. many people know this, uh, Charlie, uh, and maybe you do. And thank you for the call. Um, the word "fetus" is is Latin for offspring. And the left doesn't know that, or most of them don't, because they're leftists, which means ultimately they're stupid. It's just the, you know, it kind of goes hand in hand. So when they argue that it's not a baby, it's a fetus, in order to make it sound a little bit better for them to try to justify their promotion of killing it, uh, they don't like the idea of being told you're killing children, you're killing your child. And they're saying it's not my child; it's just a fetus. Well, fetus is Latin for offspring, which means your child. So they think that they're getting away with something if they can, you know, find a way to uh, uh, keep the keep the word fetus in there. But it's my goal and it's my mission to let everybody know that we're still talking about your child because that's all fetus means in Latin is 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 offspring. So when they say you know to, to terminate the fetus, it means kill the. Ch-